Good morning, everyone. Thank you for inviting me to be here with you. I, I look forward to this time together. Um, and what I really look forward to in the next few months is hearing your stories. And so I invite anybody who wants to meet with me and come and talk with me, you can either give me a call or you can send me an email and we can set up an appointment. You come here, I can come to you. We can meet someplace for lunch or something. I'm just here and I'm ready to, I'm, I'm here and I'm ready to hear. That's kind of corny, isn't it? Okay. <laughs> this is a beautiful psalm. And if we had a top 10 list of biblical scripture, this would always make it in the top five. And as a chaplain, if a, script, if a scripture was asked for, it seemed like nine times out of 10, Psalm 23 was the one requested. Its beauty and comforting familiarity join those who hear it into a communion of saints. It bridges a time between times, and it offers solace and peace. And it seems to pull the reader or the listener into the eternal now. Sometimes, though, we, we become so familiar with scripture that it sort of grows soft and cuddly. It becomes personal to the extreme. And we fail to see the political, I'm not talking partisan politics here, I'm talking about the organization of people, um, dynamic and transformative message that it holds. Now some say the 23rd Psalm was written by David when he was on the run after his son Absalom's rebellion. This scripture is a religious statement, a spiritual stake in the sand, and a political announcement. No one, not even my beloved misguided son who wants to be king, is someone I will follow other than God. The theologian preacher Walter Brueggemann said this about the 23rd Psalm. The very first word, the Lord, or Yahweh, the first word is the peculiar name of the God of Israel, the one who makes heaven and earth, and the one who liberates and heals and commands. Yahweh is my shepherd. And to think that shepherd might suggest an idyllic pastoral scene might suggest an idyllic pastoral scene. In fact, however, the term shepherd is political in the Bible. It means king. It means sovereign. It means lord, authority, the one who directs, the one to whom I am answerable, whom I trust, and whom I serve. It's code. In this simple opening line, the psalm is clear about the goal and the focus, the center and the purpose of life, Yahweh and no other. There is no rival loyalty, no competing claim, not economic or partisan political, not liberal or conservative, not sexist or racist, nor any of the other petty loyalties or idols that might seduce us. It is a mark of discernment and maturity to strip life down to one compelling loyalty. 
to be freed of all the others that really turn out to be idolatrous. Many of us think this scripture is about facing death. And for those of us who have an existential bent to ourselves, isn't everything. That's because many of us have heard the most familiar, are most familiar with the King James version of the scripture, which reads, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. The version read for us today is a more accurate translation of the original language. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. It's easier to understand then that this poem was not written as a psalm of comfort for the dying. Rather, it was written for the living, those muddling, struggling, slouching through daily life. It's a prescriptive theology or design for life with God, even when we find ourselves at the bleakest points in our lives. It was a statement about the nature of God and God's relationship with us. It's not easy to be human. Scratch the surface of any person, regardless of race, wealth, education, status, gender, and you will find pain and suffering, problems and regrets. There is sometimes such heartache that it seems easier to die than it is to face another day. These excruciating times are the darkest valleys of which the poet writes. These valleys are shrouded by many clouds, depression, grief, jealousy, loneliness, shame, regret, absolute despair that comes when we look around to see our fellow humans commit acts of such atrocities that we're left wondering what any of life really means. But whatever the cloud, the inky darkness can have a mighty grip on life. And in that cloud, we might lose sight of our shepherd. And perhaps we begin to follow one who leads us into busyness, into quick fixes, into easy answers, into blame. We read that goodness and mercy will follow us, but a little word study tells us that the word follow here is better translated as pursue. Now, I don't know why they didn't do this, but we're not going to go there. You see, this word, the reason I say that is because this word is also used in other psalms where the author talks about being pursued by enemies pursuit, being chased down. And also the word surely in other places is translated as only. Thus, it's not an enemy in hot pursuit of us. Rather, it is only the goodness and mercy of our shepherd chasing us down always, always, always as we wander in right paths or as we wander off our right paths. Now, if we're following a shepherd, that must mean that we're sheep. Now, I never really liked that because I thought sheep were dumb. And I mean, they're really cute 
and I like their wool, although I can't really wear it. And I love sheep milk cheese. It's one of my very favorite cheeses, but I didn't want to be likened to a dumb sheep. But <clears throat> I called Susan Shawnian at the University of Maryland, who's a sheep and goat expert. And I learned that sheep are actually not dumb, plodding beasts. Sheep are quite smart. They um, can recognize at least 50 individual faces, and they can remember them for longer than two years, which is a talent that is greater than many humans can have. They have been known to foil cattle guards by rolling over them instead of stepping on them. And they have intense, complex social arrangements that allow them to work together as a flock instead of competing for individual decisions. But it is precisely because of this strong flocking instinct and a failure to act independently of one another that sheep have been universally branded as stupid. But sheep are not stupid. Their only protection from predators is to band together and follow the sheep in front of them and beside them. If a predator is threatening the flock, this is not the time to come up with individual creative ideas. If a predator threatens, they act as one. We live in a world that can be frightening. It can be cynical. It can be self-absorbed and hateful. And we all have our own stories. We all watch other others struggle under personal and societal burdens. And we all wonder now and then, how am I going to get through this? Or how did they get through that? And we all share worries. We watch and we read about people walking all the way from Venezuela only to be met by floating barriers with saw blades in them that seem plucked from some dystopian movie. We watch and read about and know people who a week ago were living their lives in all the normal ways that people live and yet who today are held hostage or worse and others who are held captive in a place with no place to go while bombs fall on them. In his teachings, Jesus told us not to worry about tomorrow, that our concerns of today are sufficient unto, unto themselves. And I always think, well, I know he meant well, but there are times that, I mean, I say, really, Jesus? You didn't have the internet. You didn't have to deal with rapid-fire assault rifles. He didn't have to think about climate change. He didn't have a 24-hour infotainment news cycle that kept him constantly engaged, enraged, and fearful. And he didn't have kids. I mean, really. And bit by bit, 
I'm lured from my path into the depths of the valley of darkness where evil tears me from the joy of life, where the beauty of each bright day is obscured, where worry, fear, anxiety, prejudice, and anger lead me onto paths that are not right, where those petty idols obscure the banquet before me. Life is filled with many valleys of the things we fear. And remarkably, it's not on the other side of the valley where the bank, banquet of life is prepared and served. It is right here, right now, in the darkest valley. Goodness and mercy are not elusive. They're not found on some mountaintop. They have actually chased us and found us right in front of all that is set to tear us from the love of God and one another. They are highlighted when we stand up for one another, when kindness is offered, when those oppressed for so long find their voice and speak. Goodness and mercy are found with those who gather with us week after week after week as we share in this banquet table before us. Holy friends we know well, and those we've not yet come to know, holy friends that we really enjoy, and those that we find pretty difficult to relate to, those of the same color and tongue, and those with whom we have nothing other than our participation in this beloved community in common. We do not set this table. We do not arrange for this gathering. This banquet was prepared for us and laid long ago. We are invited, but we must decide if we will receive this goodness and mercy no matter how hard it chases us. We must decide if we will taste of the transformative glory in the midst of suffering, in the midst of a world at war, a world full of systemic injustices. We must decide if we will welcome the joy even as we face terror, we must decide if we will be as smart as sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want because as I wander through valleys of deep darkness, my flock is with me and we protect one another while we follow our shepherd. Our God is leading us and it is here, right here that we find our strength, our banquet, our joy. So let us feast in the face of despair, fortified to carry one foot in front of the other, a flock who is a whole flock flourishing. Amen.